Good morning. Uh, I get the privilege and honor to come and bring God's word to you and just say, I want to say thank you. Thank you so much for loving my good friends well. Uh, I've known Dean and Dylan for almost 20 years in just friendship and partnership and ministry and so excited for the ways that y'all care well for them and so excited for the ways that you guys are a church that loves your city and loves the people within your city. So I'm just excited to get to be a part of that this morning. As has already been mentioned, I am from Knoxville, Tennessee, so I had to make a few deals to come up here. One, I was not allowed to wear orange, though I do have a robe on, so anybody could guess. I'm not allowed to use the words volunteer, Rocky, or top at any point during the sermon, so you can check me on that later. I'm gonna do my best not to do any of those things. Uh, my hope is, as we open up God's word together, and as we think about this new season of pastoral ministry for Dean, and for you as a pastor, another pastor here at the church, that we're going to look at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, and what's happening in the midst of that. So we're going to look at John chapter 1. So if you've got your Bibles, John chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 19 through 37. This is God's word. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said, had they been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus, and as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that it has something to say to us today. And I know that I am unworthy to say it. So I pray that you would come by your spirit to open our ears and our hearts and our minds because you alone have the words of eternal life. So we lift our hearts and these requests to you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we think about this new season of life and ministry, look at this very beginning part of Jesus' ministry, which has as the forefront John the Baptist. Ooh, microphone turned on. That scared me. I hope it scared you. It gives us John the Baptist, who's up to the forefront, the first person out here. So when we look at that, what I want you to do is think of two things. I want us to look at the confession of John the Baptist and the actions of John the Baptist. But I think it's important to start with the context of any passage. So here we are at the beginning of John's gospel. And what is the first thing that he does? He introduces us this character of John the Baptist, front and center. 
And what we know about John the Baptist is he had this ministry. Matthew tells us that he was kind of a different sort of guy. Says that he wore camel's hair and a leather belt, that he ate wild honey and locusts. Not exactly what we would expect for someone who was a prophet of God. But yet he had this very amazing ministry. He would be out there, and it tells us also later in Matthew, that Jerusalem and all of Judea and all the people in the surrounding regions were coming out to him. And as he taught, he would teach them, they would confess their sins, and they would ask to be baptized. So that's what he would do. And so this is where we're introduced to this. And so we have these religious leaders who are wondering. They hear these rumors about this person out there, and they wonder, is this the one? Is this the one we've been looking for? Is this the Messiah, the chosen one? So they send people out to go and investigate. And they go and they ask John the Baptist one very simple question. Who are you? Notice they're not trying to tip their hand. They're just trying to be vague. Who are you? My question for you this morning is, how would you answer that question? You've probably had to before. You've been sitting next to a stranger on a plane, and they go something like, tell me about yourself. What do you do? Who are you? Imagine what you would say. I doubt you would go back in time to go, well, I won the class spelling bee in third grade. That was pretty awesome. That was a good time for me. You're not going to probably tell them what degree you had or other things you do, but you will work really hard to make yourself sound important. And to make yourself sound impressive. If you've got a title at work, you're probably giving it. If you've got some accomplishments of things you've done, you're probably going to mention it at this point in the game. This is not a time when you'd go, oh, who am I? I'm a person who really struggles with sin. I'm really prideful. I'm really, like, like really mean to people all the time. I kick my dog. I'm mean to my kids. I'm just a terrible person. That's probably not how you describe yourself. Whenever we get that opportunity, we try to put our best foot forward and look the best we possibly could. So John the Baptist has this opportunity. Imagine what he could say. Well, I'm an itinerant preacher who has a thriving congregation in an excellent teaching ministry. I've got people coming all over, daily, all the time. Every time I speak, they confess their sins and want to be baptized. Any preacher would be so lucky to have this. So this is the setting and the backdrop. And so what I want you to do with that idea of the context is I want us to look at what does he say and then what does he do. So rather than make himself sound super impressive as he could, he, the ESV gives us this word. It says he confesses. He confesses to them. He pours out all of this of who he actually is. He lays it all bare. He's not going to hide anything. And he does it by doing two things. The first thing that he's going to do is he's going to tell them who he's not. He knows in some senses he's heard the rumors around. He knows what people are speculating. So the first thing he's going to do is, I'm not the Christ. And understanding that this could be a real defeat to his ministry. Probably some of those people hearing him teach, being baptized, are also wondering this, but too afraid to ask. But he says right off the bat, I am not the Christ. And what's important for that is that temptation that pastors have to be the Christ. We know that we're not, but we can't help sometimes to want to lean into those circumstances and situations. We see need. We see hurts. We want to do something about it. I remember there was a time Todd and I were at this exact same conference that was to, like, 
pastors and to ministry leaders. And we had this seminary professor whose name was Jay Sklar who came and taught. I don't remember anything he said, so that's really comforting for me that no matter what I say, you won't remember anyway, so that's great for me. But I remember this exercise he made us do. We have a room of about 85 people. And he says, I want you to each stand up and say, I am not the Christ. My first thought was to roll my eyes. I was like, oh, what in the world? Why are we doing this? This is just awkward. And after about 20 people in, I am all out on this. This is just, this is going to take forever. We have like a basketball game to play after this. What is going on? But as you can imagine, after about halfway through, I started to pay attention. And to watch people who were in full-time ministry stand up and say, I am not the Christ. Then it got to me and I was like, I'm just going to run through it. I made it to the, and I could feel my voice start to waver and shake. I am not the Christ. The freedom, the joy, that that's not who I am. That's not my role. I can't save anybody. And I think for all of us as Christians to be reminded of that truth that we are not the Christ. Every one of you has situations you long to enter into. Every one of you has people who don't know Jesus and you want to bring them to him. And every one of you probably goes to bed feeling guilty. And every one of you always worries that you're not doing enough. I've got good news and I've got bad news. Bad news, you can't save them. The good news, Jesus can. And so he calls you as his people not to be successful, but to be faithful in those opportunities you get all around you all the time. You are not the Christ. John the Baptist realized, I'm not the chosen one. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Savior. And that's okay with me. He knew his part. He knew his role. And rather than try to make himself sound super impressive, he makes himself seem humble. Because he is. So the first thing he says is what he's not. I am not the Christ. But then he says what he is. I am the voice. I'm the voice of one calling out to the wilderness. It's the role he knows he's supposed to play and wants to play. Jesus is the word of God. So my job is to be his voice out into the world. And he had a very specific, important message. Make straight the pathways for the Lord. And this sounds like a weird thing for us. We wouldn't understand the context. But at that time, they totally would get this. This is what God's people did, or any group of people did, when the king was about to arrive. You would make the paths straight. So if you knew the king was coming and there were curves and bends, you would change the road to make it straight. If there were bumps and ruts, you would make it smooth. So the king had the easiest way possible to come and be with the people. So this message, this voice that he cries out to the people was not just about that. It was about their hearts. He was speaking to the hearts of the people as I'm coming with this baptism of repentance. Make your heart ready for the king to come, the Messiah to come, the chosen one to come. Those crooked places in your heart and life, make them straight by your confession of sin. Make them smooth and easy as you let others and God in his word rub off the rough places of your life that you may be ready to welcome him in. As we get ready to Advent, 
We're going to sing at some point, let every heart prepare him room in heaven and nature sing. He had this message to give to the people as the voice to the people. But not just the voice, he was also the servant. What does he say? He says, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. The job of a servant to wash the feet, to tie the sandals. He's like, I'm not even worthy of that, yet I'll do it. He saw so clearly that his role in his job was not to be the Christ, but to make much of the Christ. So that's his confession. Now his actions. I don't know about you, but a lot of things that I say that I believe really don't play themselves out well in my own life. I am very hypocritical in so many ways. We don't have time, so I'll just give you a couple. I say how important it is to love your neighbors. I tell other people. I say that for myself and in my own heart. I doubt the neighbors around me would say that I love them very well. There are some people who are more difficult for me to deal with, if I'm just being honest. Hopefully they'll never hear this. That's great. And also, I use the excuse, I'm in ministry all day. I'm with people all day day. I'm an introvert. It's a lot. And so I'm just tired. I don't want to enter into the messiness of my neighbors. But I say it's important to love our neighbors. So which is true? I say that prayer is super important. Maybe the most important part of ministry. It's where the real work is done when we're trying to serve God. And yet, if you look at my prayer life, it doesn't seem to match I would say I'm not the only one who feels that way, that I think this one thing, I believe this so strongly, and yet my life doesn't reflect it. But what I love about John the Baptist is his life perfectly reflects his confession. And he gets an opportunity, it says, the very next day. So he says all these great things about who he is and who Jesus is, and the next day it says Jesus showed up. I can only imagine if I'm preaching on loving your neighbor and the next day Jesus shows up, I'm like, oh man, now what am I going to do? And then he does exactly what he said he's going to be. He becomes the voice. What does he say? Behold. Behold. Which is, look, pay attention. Don't miss this. I have a 16-year-old daughter, and when she talks a lot, I don't listen probably as well as I should have, and she's just a lot of words as an introvert. So I remember at times when she was like three or four years old, and she couldn't get my attention, she would slap my cheeks, and she'd put them down to her face, and she'd say, listen to me. And I was like, yes, ma'am, I will. Yes, ma'am, I'm listening to you now. This is John the Baptist taking their faces and going, listen to what I'm about to say because it's really important. Because I'm about to turn the sacrificial system you're used to upside down with this message. So don't miss this. Behold, the Lamb of God. Think about what they're used to at this time. Their sins are forgiven by their own sacrifices that they bring. They might bring doves or a lamb or a bull or goats. Whatever it might be, they have to provide the sacrifice. They would bring it to the temple. They would spill its blood that they might be forgiven. John the Baptist says, no, behold, the Lamb of God, the sacrifice that he is going to provide for you. And you know what that Lamb's going to do who takes away the sin. And this picture of taking away the sin is permanently removing the sin. 
And so we see in the Psalms when it talks about as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our sins from us. These people in the sacrificial system would have to go back next week. And then next week. And then next week. Their whole life would be filled with sacrifices. He is saying, who comes to take away forever the sins. The guilt, the shame, the concern, the worry, the things that you would be embarrassed if everyone in this sanctuary knew, he came to remove completely. Once and for all. And he wants to do that for the world. For the sins of the world. Not just the Jews at the time. As we assume there's probably Gentiles around being baptized by John. And for them to hear for the first time this announcement of salvation. The Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And there's this idea again this perpetual forever sacrifice has been made. He, as the voice, has turned everything they think and believe upside down as he points, not to himself, but points to the true Messiah. He had an opportunity to live out what he believed, and he did it. And then the second part is he does the exact same thing as the servant. As he's talked about the fact, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes, what does he do? He has his disciples, his people, and he points them and says, look, the Lamb of God. The one I talked about, that's him. And when they don't get it, you'll notice the next day he does it again. It's like, I don't know how many times I've got to tell you this. That guy. Follow him. And that sounds right, but imagine all that John the Baptist would be willing to lose. He loses his disciple. He loses his place of influence. He loses his ministry. He loses his reputation. He's the one everyone is flocking to. He's saying to his own people, I'm not the one. Follow him. Because the life of a servant is one who makes it about someone else and something bigger than themselves. He is willing to lose everything for the sake of Christ. And that's not just a flippant phrase. Willing to lose everything that he has built. Everything that he has been. Everything that he has done for the sake of Jesus Christ. If that's not a servant, I don't know what is. He is the voice. He is the servant. And he has lived that out. Now before we get too far into this and we start like worshiping John the Baptist, he is a sinful man like the rest of us. The best that's ever been born of man, so Jesus says. But later in his life, he had doubts, just like us. When he needed some confirmation as his life's about to end, he sends disciples to him again and says, are you sure you're the one? Like I was pretty sure like a long time ago you were the one. Are you sure that you're the one who is to come? Even in his doubts, what does John the Baptist do? He points people to Jesus. What a beautiful picture for us. So where does that apply to us? This all sounds great, but what does this mean for me today? Now, in a couple of minutes, there's going to be a charge specifically for Dean, and there's going to be a charge for you as a congregation. I'm taking a little poetic license to do a charge for both of you a little bit by way of application. Dean, you're not the Christ. Let the relief of that kind of pour over you for a moment. You're not the Christ. You're important. 
without a doubt, but God doesn't need you. He doesn't need any of us to do his work, yet he's chosen to use you here. But you're not the Christ, but you're a voice. So make sure as you give counsel and wisdom and teach, it's not Dean's word, it's God's word, his eternal word, the word made flesh, Jesus Christ that you give people. And that message be a message of forgiveness. Notice that John the Baptist could have talked about anything about Jesus. Could have talked about his power in creation. He could have talked about his miracles. He could have talked about the fact that he was going to be the king of kings, his justice, his wrath. What is the message that John the Baptist gives to the people? It's forgiveness. Because it's the message our souls need most. It's the message my soul needs to most. I need to be reminded that my guilt and my shame and my sin do not win the day, but Christ wins the day over them all. He has conquered and will conquer. And I have hope in that. So be the voice of the gospel of Jesus Christ and give them hope. Be one who serves. Be the servant of all. People will follow those that they see serve. And at times you may stoop down to serve and be run over by the people. It's okay. That's part of this call. But in all of it, make much of Jesus. Make much of Jesus as you already do. For the people, for y'all, for me. We also have to remember that we're not the Christ. Give yourself a break and some grace today in those situations and circumstances you're beating yourself up over. Does that mean you don't be inten- you're not intentional in relationships and loving and caring? No, but you can't save them but you have the opportunity to bring them and pray them to be able to see Jesus Christ. But you also need to be a people who listen to the voice. Listen to the voice of Martin and Dean and leadership and your leaders and your teachers in this session. Be a people who listen, but also who listen to the voice for yourselves as you spend time in his word. As y'all are thinking about a stewardship season, start with that, listening to the voice of God. What is he calling you to do and calling you to be? And then when he calls you to make a life that is more about him than it is about you, what a great time during a stewardship season to consider that. When you think about your time, if someone looks at your life and the way you use your time, what would it say about Jesus Christ? If someone looked at your service or the way that you help other people, the way that, you've, the way that you work without being paid to do it, almost got caught there. The way that you work without being paid to do it, What does that reflect about Jesus Christ? What about your relationships? How you love and care for others in your life? How does that reflect Jesus? And then in your money, something we don't love to talk about all the time. If someone were to look at the way that you use your money, what would that say about Jesus Christ? Because all those things make up for us a testimony of grace and faith. And because you've been forgiven, you have a story of forgiveness that no one else ever has, ever will have. There's no one like you, no one who's made like you, no one with the experiences you have. There is a gap in the Bible from Jude to Revelation waiting on your story of his grace and his forgiveness for you to share. So consider where are the ways where my life needs to line up more in following Jesus Christ. What a privilege and an honor it is to be a people who get to be his voice, to get to be his servant, like John the Baptist. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the example we get in John the Baptist. Not perfect by any means, 
but one who was willing to be humbled, willing to lose it all for your sake, willing to not be the one to be the voice and to be the servant of all. Father, help us to do that. Help us to see our lives as gifts from you that we are called to steward in every area, in every arena, and help us, even as John the Baptist will say later, that I must decrease that he might increase. So pray that you would increase in all areas of our lives so that we decrease, our selfishness decreases, that our pride decreases, that our envy decreases because you have increased in us. And help us and fill us with your spirit in such a way that we may make much of you in word and in deed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.